everyone, welcome to the Mass Construction Show with today's guest, Peter Regan, Project Executive at Vantage Builders. I'm your host, Joe Kelly, and this is a podcast about all things construction in Massachusetts and beyond. In this episode, Peter and I discuss cannabis industry construction. What are the different types of facilities associated with cannabis? What does he look for at a site assessment? What's critical for a successful project and what the industry future looks like? Now, before we get started, I'd love it if you could hit pause and give this podcast a rating or write a review. These things really matter when it comes to growing the podcast and getting the kind of guests we would like to hear from. So I appreciate anything that you could do, um, whether it's liking, writing a review, or even sharing on social. All those things really mean a lot. I appreciate those things and enjoy the show. Hey, Pete. Welcome to the Mass Construction Show. Hey, Joe. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, no. Excited to have you. This is going to be, I don't know if it's a second or third episode of this type, but in the past I had someone on that kind of specialized in data centers and not that there's been anybody that has come on the show and says they've been an expert and I know you wouldn't classify yourself as an expert, but you know, for lack of a better word, somebody that's spent some time working on one particular thing like data centers. In this case, most people in the construction space are aware that mission critical or data centers, there's a lot of work there warehouse stuff with like Amazon and shipping that also has been getting a lot of attention. And then locally here in Massachusetts and probably in many other states now, uh, cannabis has become hot, I guess. I don't know if hot's the right term, but there's been a influx of work in this market sector. But I think this one's even more unique because we've always built some kind of a data center. The technology has changed over the way, but this is something where it's kind of a a whole new field. So I'd say people know even and less might know even less about this area of construction, I guess, which I'll say. So that was a really long winding uh, convoluted way to get to like, could you maybe explain to people what falls under the umbrellas umbrella of cannabis? Sure. I know you hear about like there's a dispensary, there's a extraction, all this kind of jazz. Like what are, what are the options in cannabis? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the industry I'd say is growing, right? You know, yeah. pun intended. So, you know, we are construction managers uh, for the most part, generalists, right? We are general contractors in the old days. Mm. So we uh, know how to build things, but everything has a little bit of nuance to it. So the cannabis industry for sure is hot and it's been a niche market for us for, you know, five years or so since we did our first one. Massachusetts brought it in and it was uh, you know, supposed to be this big boost to the tax uh, coffers in the state. and I think it's getting there. It's just been slower than some people wanted and thought originally. But what you see first is the retail side dispensary. But there's clients that just do dispensaries and they'll have to buy product from someone else. There's others that are fully integrated that'll have everything from the retail on back to manufacturing, production, you know, the harvest side, the grow side, and uh, all different sizes of those from you know little boutique shops that are doing you know, two and 3,000 square feet of grow to these, uh, the biggest ones are, you know, 100,000 square feet. So there's everything in between. And there are some similarities to every other construction we do, but definitely some specialties in this uh, industry of cannabis. Yeah. Is it similar to almost like beer where you might have like a microbrewery versus Budweiser? Does that happen already I, in the marketplace? I think so. And I think this is still evolving that, you know, hmm. some, some of these, uh, clients and growers 
they think you know that they're like that microbrews that their stuff is very specialized and the genetics is the key to a lot of these things that how much thc or you know cbd level is in the product and how they process it and the end product but if you say you want a beer someone is going to give you a budweiser right you have to mm. tell them if you want a sam adams specialty beer is a, a different thing so it's uh, a little bit of that I wonder, and I know we're getting off topic here, and this probably isn't your expertise, but like I could even see a place where some grower would get into organic. I'm sure that's already happened, but like organic and maybe say like, you know, soil grown with compost, not hydroponics, like grown with yeah. sunlight. I could I could see there being a place where that becomes a thing. Yeah. You know, this part of the country for the majority of the stuff we're doing is indoor, but there are people that are doing greenhouse grow. Uh, no one's other than your, you know, your backyard person that's yeah. growing maybe uh, their six plants or 12 plants that they're allowed to by the state laws is growing outside. Everyone else has controlled environment to make sure that their cash crop, which is big money maker. So they have to, they spend a lot of money to build these facilities and they're looking to, you know, make some money on the return. Uh, so yeah. As it evolves, I'm, I'm I'm anxious and curious on how this will end up five, ten years from now. Yeah, no, it will be interesting. And I wonder if, you know, I, I can imagine a place where you'll get a real premium if you can bring some of that other stuff to the to the market. So, yeah, that will be interesting. See how that plays out. I, I'm curious because you said, talked about us being kind of like generalist by nature. And I think that's why I actually wanted to go into construction. Right. Because I never liked anything and like, I would never want to be a structural engineer. Like I don't want to go that deep on any one particular thing. And I don't want to do the same thing over and over again. Were you that way? Like what, what made you get into construction? It's uh, funny you should ask, right? Cause my first job out of school, I was a structural engineer. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Worked for Badger engineers, which is part of Raytheon. And mm -hmm. when uh, we had a couple of huge jobs in, in, going on in Cambridge, we had 1500 people working on two jobs, basically on design. Um, mm. When those were over, they didn't have a, other big ones coming in. So I got laid off. And two weeks after that, I was working for Turner Construction. So that was a few years ago. Yeah, we won't say yeah. how. A few, yeah. few gray hairs, you know, since then and all that. But myself too, like I'm much more comfortable not doing the same thing every day. And that's one of the exciting things about the construction industry, right? We never probably see, don't see the same day after day, not only physically, but everything we're dealing with is something new every day. Yeah, and, and that really, and I know Eric Sanford has been on a few times, will disagree with me on, on this, what I'm about to say, but I think if that's one of the big reasons why there's all the criticism about the construction industry about not being efficient and productivity being lousy, but it's really hard to be productive when each time you go going to do a task, build a building, it's a different task, right? Yeah. That learning curve all over again, like. And yes. we're not building widgets. Yeah. It's not, manu it's not manufacturing. Yep. So. And, and now the argument will be, well, the bulk of the building is the same, but yes, but it's still different. Every time it's not the exact same thing and it's, and it's not in the, and the location is different and it's, not in a factory. And I think that's what's, that's what makes it great. And that, that is 
what is also very challenging about trying to become efficient. And that yes. itself is fun because that's another challenge, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, the whole lean construction, green construction, all these kind of things that have evolved is kind of uh, formalized some of the stuff we've always tried to do, really, because, you know, speed and efficiency is, makes you more dollars. So that's yep. uh, something we all try to do. And some of this, again, is being formalized and it's always a challenge, which is nice, nice yep. and frustrating at times, as you know. Yes, yes. And the frustrating piece is I was listening to someone uh, discussing technology, not necessarily particular to construction, but his point was that technology doesn't make, only makes you faster and gives you more time if you're the only one that has it. So if no one else has the software that makes them go faster, then yes you gained time and you get more time. But once everybody has that same technology, all it means is that now everyone just has to move faster. Right. And, and get more done in less time. So it, it was an interesting point that like technology just makes us move faster. It doesn't really necessarily give us more time. Yes. Yeah, I think in, you know, some of the early days of, when CAD, you know, dating myself, but CAD was just kind of an infant kind of a software in college and and seeing what it with 3D modeling and all that Revit modeling, all that that's done now, it's um, it's great. But some of these jobs that I've done in the recent years, they've done Revit models and then built stuff to that. And they somehow just, just still don't fit. So there's still the, you know, the quality craftsmanship of the field labor and also the management side to make sure it all coordinates and works together, it's still essential. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And I don't think anybody wants to go back to drawing everything by hand. You know, that's not, I don't think that's what anyone's saying, but I just think it's a misnomer to think that technology gives us more time back. No, <laughs> do, you, do you feel guess, like you have more time? <laughs> yeah, I think like, there's I really yeah, more expectations because, you know, you're always connected and that's, Kind of all industries not just ours but you know people are communicating and it really is an international economies and a lot of things too and you mm -hmm. know you're getting product from overseas or whatever that you have to coordinate but you, you have less time and that's the one commodity that you can't get more of that's that's the truth so you, you talked about some companies being vertically integrated um doing everything some companies just buying their product from somebody and then having a dispensary so what are the, is it like three mainstays? It's dispensary, grow facility, and then extraction. Is that how you would kind of break them down? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the grow, kind of the product, if you look at the product, you can kind of back into it at the retail level. So everyone's got to sell it someplace. They have to have a retail establishment. Some people might only be doing the, uh, the grow and the manufacturing and selling to these people, but most of all of them with the licensing, the way it works, you get a, a grow license and you get three dispensary licenses or whatever that might be. And mm -hmm. um, if they might have other relatives, friends, someone else that isn't on their license that they can then have a you know, relationship with other licenses that they do sometimes that kind of probably is um, a good thing for them. But it's a, it's a tricky, probably if you looked at it politically and the really the, 
the spirit of the law isn't the way it was intended to be. But the, yeah, the grow, grow and harvest, when they harvest the product, they have to dry it. Uh, most all of them that are doing the grow will do that. And then that product, the bud, the flower is sold, can be sold wholesale. Then everything else that's left of the plant is used for, for the manufacturing, for the extraction, the, the edibles, the those kind of things that are seen. That is the other side of it. So you're either buying flour, you're buying you know, a gummy or a lollipop or an infused um, Coke or drink or pizza or whatever it might be that they're making the oils and all this stuff for is the rest of the plant that gets ground up and, and put into that product. And over the, some of these have commercial kitchens that are like that and are doing that kind of thing. And they're using certain chemicals with butane, ethanol that, you know, is done with the with the manufacturing side of the product. And then, uh, you know, all that stuff is out there for the retailers to sell. Hmm. So in some cases, you would, in a basic case, you'd have the grow and then there would be the extraction that would produce and, and do they usually do packaging and stuff there as well or do they yes yeah most of them will have some kind of packaging room um, at the end doing that and they're probably just buying that product from someone else but everything else has to have a label tag on it hmm. with the, but, uh, the the ingredients and the, and the percentages of THC and CBD and all that because yeah. presumably you can't take the product and say, hey, here's all the product. We're going to send it to Smith's Foods and they're going to make it into brownies, right? Because you can't have that product going to someplace that isn't licensed. On the retail side, you you couldn't sell it. You could you could sell it probably like that, but mm -hmm. on the, to the consumer, you couldn't sell it on the end without a license on the retail side. Yeah. So there are people probably that are doing that, but most of them are doing it in-house with their commercial kitchen. Okay. So, so it gets really interesting then, right? So you have the grow facility where you're growing the plant, you're harvesting it. And then in that grow facility, you're also drying it, getting it ready. And then you have extraction potentially, which would be kind of more like lab, right? Right, right. Assumably using some type of alcohol and putting it in a well, centrifuge or something. I don't know what the hell they put it in, but to extract the oils out, then you potentially have the commercial kitchen aspect of it if they're doing yep. foods, baking, right. and edibles, then... the brownies, the any of that stuff, the gummies are all in that area. Yeah. Yep. And then you have the packaging, right? Yeah. Which in some cases could be its would be its own standalone thing if it was some other product, right? So you have that whole and that's when you say vertically integrated, you've got every right. everything there. Then once you've packaged, it goes to a dispensary retail store. Correct. And some of the places have the the, the retail rate on the same site as their manufacturing grows. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of them do that just for ease of use, um, I guess, because that's you know the dispensaries are you know small footprint of the of the big picture square mm -hmm. footage wise. They're thousand to four thousand square feet. Um, they don't take a lot of room, but the the grow site are. 15, 20 to 100,000 square feet. So they might have a dispensary at the same place as their grow, but then they'll have satellite ones too. So assuming we have, you've got a fully integrated business model for a company and you've been asked to go out and look at 
a building or a site that they want to convert into grow extraction commercial kitchen retail or not i think the retail is almost doesn't matter it's, it's yeah. a retail store people understand that but for everything else when you go out and you look at that i think about it when i'm asked to look at a uh, drafting up a 241 plan i'm looking at you know is, is it occupied do you have some type of a fire rating around the area you're working are you going to do hot work do you need temp heat do you you know what's egress look like are you obstructing egress like there's going to be some like automatic stuff you look at right away how would you do it if you were walking out onto a site or looking at a set of drawings what are going to be the first things that you're going to look at if you know you've got a full system going in yeah hopefully we're in early on the pre-con that uh you know on the team before the the drawings are made but when that happens you know the big the big questions on the design side is is there enough power these things are huge power consumers because of electric load and hvac load then water supply also because um the plants their plants it's, it's agriculture they have to get watered so there's got to be how that comes in to the building and how it goes out of the building is regulated so mm -hmm. you know certain towns and municipalities and water uh, sheds that have to have an approval on the discharge side some you can't put down anything but clear condensate some you know there's other stuff that's coming off that's because of the fertilizer the plants and all that mm -hmm. stuff it's a, it's a well, you know, gray water, and it either has to be treated or, you know, approved by the town or the watershed that's seeing that. So there's a lot of things like that that you have to check into. But power is probably the number one thing, you know, uh, electric service. And now we're dealing with the craziness of the supply chain with gear and everything else that's, you know, now a challenge. So, hmm. so forgive me, this is getting in the weeds a little off of what I just asked you. But yeah. uh, so is it similar that you need like with the lab setup where you would need like a neutralization tank before it discharges or or just some type of water treatment before it goes yeah, out? A lot, of, a lot of them depend on how much flow would be. RO is, is a com common thing to use for the treatment of it. Um, others will actually, there's one other treatment is to actually burn off the water, make it become vapor, and then eliminate the, the solids in a you know small packaging wow okay so they either like basically boil it off right, right? and collect the solids or, or they use send like it a back through ro and reuse it so they actually have like a reverse osmosis tank in some of these that you're going to run the water through and yeah well, most all of them have some kind of water treatment on the front end so on mm. on the making it like a closed loop is an option so that it goes back to the ro and then that's whatever oh. the percentage is reclaimed and then mixed with the stuff coming in off the street through the ro skid because so you need that purified water for the watering and cooking and all that kind of stuff right so they're running it from the street getting rid of uh you know chlorine and fluoride whatever else is in the water using it it's picking up other chemicals in the process and then they rerun it through the ro again to put it back out into the water supply right hmm. you know, and of course there's a lot of waste because you have to flush the ro you know yeah. as, as back back flush um so it's it's a balancing act for sure hmm. so what and i know obviously the size of the facility will matter but just for reference like what is a 
you know, what kind of a, what size supply would you need for a good size? Yeah, I mean, most of the this can be done, get around by storage tanks and everything on the on the watering side, there's interior storage tanks for the most part of water room. Um, okay. What they call fertigation is a combination, it's a cannabis kind of a coin term, fertilizer and irrigation combined together into one system where they bring in the water, treat it, temper it by holding it in tanks for temperature, or they might have to heat it, but the best way to do it is just temper it um, with a holding tank. And then they have a larger tank, then they have smaller batch tanks where they mix the fertilizer in, and that all goes out to the plants. And the depending on what the system they use, they can use totally computer-aided ones that are, you know, do it on your computer and tell you, you know, this room gets dose one, which is a combination of these three tanks, this room gets dose two, or they do it, you know, manually with sending out the stuff. So it's, so it's, uh, like, it's almost like a BAS or BMS for right. watering. Correct. That's wild. It's like, uh, <laughs> you know, miracle Grow, where you'd hook up the hose to the little container to fertilize, yeah. like <laughs> that on steroids that, with technology, right? Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. Figure you add six or seven of those containers together and then turn one on, turn one off, do different batches, depending on what the, you know, the grower wants to use or what he's growing, the strain and all this stuff. It's you know, science for yeah. sure. Now, if people want to see it, um, you nice, you were nice enough. I asked you if you would write up something on this. So you wrote a little bit about this. So if people are interested and want to know more, if you go to massconstruction.org, uh, hopefully I'll have that up before this podcast goes up. And the reason you, that triggered my mind was you talked about that fertigation. Fertigation, yeah. Fertilizer and irrigation together. Yeah, you had some nice shots of those the the piping and cartridges yeah. and everything that goes with it so if people want to see what that looks like go to you know if you go to massconstruction.org um, and look for the the article on marijuana i don't know what we'll title it yet because we're recording this probably a few weeks before we'll publish um, but go check that out and there's a lot of uh, to me it seem to be a lot of cool pictures like i don't want to get off on a tangent because i want to dig a little bit more in on your kind of site assessment but things like um the green lighting that's used. I yeah. thought that was really kind of cool. Like you see this room and you see all this green light. And I, I asked you, I was like, what's with the green lights? I kind of assumed it would be like red lamps for growing. And you had mentioned, actually, well, I'll let you explain it. Why do they use green lights inside? So, you know, the, the plants see light. And when they see light on the spectrum of the white spectrum, which is the full spectrum, they're awake when they see when they're off, no light, they're sleeping, and, and that's kind of the most of the, the grow happens um, in those cycles. They're on off. Uh, green light isn't seen by the plants because of the spectrum. So we use green light for housekeeping, safety, and all that. You can go into a room and not disturb the plant with a green light on. Mm -hmm. So you know, most of the time you're in the, the baby plants, if you will, are growing 18 hours on with lights and six hours off. And then when they get a little more mature, they're usually 12 on, 12 off, depending on, you know, what the grower is doing, his strain and all that stuff that, you know, his particular style of growing, but that's kind of the basics of it. Yeah, so like these plants basically have circadian rhythms just like we do. Right, right, and if you disturb them, they uh, can, you know, have ill effects to them. You know, you get smaller bud, you get 
uh, stuff that grows uh, erratically, all this stuff, more more polyinformation than I know specifically. I just know enough to be dangerous, but yeah. the growers definitely are scientists. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they're even thinking about that is wild, right? Like, but yeah. I guess like anything where you're just trying to increase yield and right. whatever, whether it's fertilizer or light and, uh, but it's yeah. cool to kind of just look at the picture and see that you're like, wow, that's interesting. It also makes me think like I'm in a, it's, it's West Roxbury, so it's a little more neighborhoody-ish, but I'm still in the city and there's a lot of houses close to each other and a lot of street lights. And I, I often think of that, like when I'm growing stuff, I have a little window out front that kind of juts out. So I'll put seedlings in there. And I sit there and think when the street light is coming through the window, I'm like, I wonder if this is really screwing with my plants. I wonder if I should just put it in a real dark spot. So just if you grow on cannabis. What do you say? Just if you grow on cannabis. Oh, it's not for everything? No, no, it's got to be for everything, <laughs> right? Yes. Speaking of that, it's funny. You talked about how you can do the homegrown. I know somebody that has a very large garden and his neighbor also has a really large garden of cannabis. And this was pre, uh, pre-legal, but it's funny. You talk about six to 12 plants, whatever it was. This guy has a, a massive garden go- yeah. going. And yeah, I was surprised in this climate that he's growing it outside. Yeah. I mean, that's how, you know, kind of the, the black market is still there and it's still a big percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard that because of the legalized side, though, it's getting much better with quality on the black market. And even, you know, we, we have clients that uh, are here in this area now that were from Denver, went out to Denver, and even Denver and California still have a portion that's black market. That'll mm-hmm. that'll never go away no matter what. But having it legalized and regulated in Massachusetts really lends to, I, I don't want to say people like you and me, but mm-hmm. people like you and me that don't want to go down to the corner and buy something. They want to know just like anything else that they buy um, FDA approved or whatever else that they're putting in their body is um, tested, regulated, and they don't have to worry about some foreign chemical or something laced in it. Mm-hmm. So, and that kind of appeals to the urban professional, if you will, the, that doesn't want to risk that to an unknown person selling this stuff. Yeah, no, it's true. And then, but also on the, on the flip side, I, I grow food in my backyard because I enjoy it and always have enjoyed yeah. it. But also I like knowing how it's grown and what it is, right? So right. There's, there is an upside, an upside for people that are growing it themselves. And there's that sense of comfort because you know what go, goes into it. So, yeah. Uh, but it's fascinating because think about it. It's much easier. I mean, even if in alcohol, whatever, you have to have a, a still and you have to figure all that out and you can mess it up. But you can grow this plant in your backyard, then uh, right. it's a little lower bar to entry. Yeah, right? yeah you, you might not be doing extraction in your, in your house, but you can still grow the plant. Yeah. Has, has, has there been, this is just me asking you all the things I'm curious about, so forgive people, forgive me people if I'm off construction, but is there anything that these companies do for just like the hemp portion of it? Like, is there a leftover byproduct that goes to get used for insulation or in hempcrete or stuff like that or paper? Or... I haven't. Um, I think the in- industry in our neck of the woods is too new for that mm. to be a thing yet. But I know in, in Colorado, they uh, they have that industry. But hemp price, just like any other commodity or, or cannabis, 
is you know kind of market driven and people i've talked to before like saw you know building places and growing it and they do it depending you know the yield of the dollar yield is kind of what drives that market also but massachusetts hasn't seen i don't think much of that yet yeah that makes sense in the same way that like recycling is like that all right there's stuff that plastic that can be recycled but it would cost more so they just don't do it they just put it in the trash which is yeah. you know unfortunate okay so water supply it's usually probably like a regular commercial sized water line but it's really about the tanks from the power side do you have a general sense of what type of service you would need to the building there's um some parameters that kind of run that with the lighting and hvac load that can be backed into that the engineers have to comply with mm -hmm. um, part of the ccc regulations is watts per square foot for lighting uh, and depends on the the tier size of your your license there's tier one through i think it's 12 or whatever the number is is a square foot number relative how much you can grow so there's a like a 36 watt per square foot number is a, or you know, it depends. There's a, so, so many parameters that, and and exemptions to that. Like mm -hmm. we're doing stuff now that have their own uh, power plant and and uh, boiler and, and cooling plants because either they can't get the power off the street enough or whatever it might be, or just the cost factor of that because you know these are huge again power consumption. Yeah. units that are just pigs for this you know uh, really so if they're making their own power with a uh, cogeneration plant or a chp combined heat and power heat and power uh, plants that we're doing on a bunch of the bigger ones it makes sense financially for them to do that so it's a uh, you know cost benefit over time that these finance guys look at and see the payback and and also the logistics and also the timing you know some of these ones that we're doing that require four or five megawatt of power off the street would take two two to three years to get national grid or eversource to bring that into a building if it's not there already and people you know time is money so they want something right away yeah and for reference so like a megawatt and now this depends on where you are in the country and you know how many uh, and how big a home is but you know a megawatt, one megawatt would run about 800 homes for a year. So if we're talking about five megawatts, you're talking about power for a small town. For, right. For a year. Yeah. And that's, you know, some of these smaller grow facilities in smaller towns, because a lot of the, the thought process in these um, people that are doing this is go to someplace where it's cheap for the real estate. You know, to, buy, to get the building or whatever the footprint. Because you need, you need but, big, a lot of square footage. Yeah, cheap, cheap square footage. But then, you know, some of these towns are have local utility companies. They don't have Eversource or National Grid, so it makes it even more of a challenge. I heard one story where the the whole town has four megawatts of power from their, you know, their hmm. power plant. So if you go in and you build a one or two megawatt grow facility, you're going to take 25 to 50 percent of their power. How yeah. does that work, right? Yeah, no, that's yeah, that's fascinating. Because yeah, that make and it makes so much sense, right? You're like, okay, I need a giant footprint. I'm gonna go to Central Western Mass where I can get something that's more affordable per acre or whatever. But then you just don't have the infrastructure. 
right? right. On probably on all fronts, right? Not just electrical, maybe even water and right. gas. I wonder if there are even, there's some communities, I know there are certain areas of communities, but I wonder if there's some communities altogether that just still don't have gas yet. We're, um, we're looking at one in the Worcester area, I guess you would call it, Central Mass, that um, this industrial plant has no water line for sprinkler and it has no natural gas into the park. Wow. Makes it, a, makes it kind of a challenge for the engineers to develop that, you know, so they're looking at like a storage tank for the sprinkler, 10, 20, 25,000 gallon, whatever that might be, um, with a pump. So it acts as its own little deluge, deluge system, doing it that way. And then they have propane, but with that, then you have to look at different systems. You can't go to gas-fired chillers or anything like that that some designs use, and you have to go all electric. And then, you know, the cost um, what does that cost on an operating basis? It's So that's how part of the site assessment that you have to look at is the operating cost for sure, not only the build-out cost. Yeah, I mean, we're so used to, most of us that are working for GCs in the Boston area, greater Boston area, are so used to just having the resources available to do what we need to do. Right. But it's funny that you say that, like I saw one 241 plan, more central mass, where they didn't have a fire hydrant close enough to the building, not even remotely close enough to the yeah. building. So they made them install a, um, a water tank during construction, just yeah. so they had, had water. Um, and if you, it's funny, you look in 241, sometimes they allow for you to use a pond yeah. or a lake for for water. They hook up the, the yeah. fire pump to that pond if there's one on the property and that's the water supply. It sounds foreign to us, but it's probably quite common in in other parts of the country. Yeah, when, when we get out of the city, there's some yeah challenges like that. Hmm. So like you said, you'll back into some of it with watts per square foot. There'll be a a demand, but either way, there's there's could be any number of things. It could be that the power just isn't available. It could be that I you were telling me about one where I think it was two to three years out before you could get the service that you needed. Right. So you then went with a CHP combined heat and power plant. So you're going to generate kind of like a cogen yeah. type thing, right? Right. Uh, yeah, generator with turbine and all this stuff and. You know, cooling tower, chillers, all that, kind of in a package unit where a lot of them, they make them offsite, deliver them containerized over the road. And uh, if they there might be two containers that kind of plug the ends into each other and you put a spool piece in for the piping that they did in the factory, if you will, or the shop, and just yeah. do those final touches in, in the field. It's kind of neat little product. Mm. If you have the room for it is the other question because some of the, you know, these sites where we've done small additions to the buildings to put the, the chillers or the, you know, the cooling tower on top of, and that's right against the property line setback. If you're up against that, these CHP plants can take up a big square footage. You might not be able to do it, so you got to get creative. Okay. So in that case, you're getting, you know, you get the service from the street, and then you're supplementing with making your own power on site. I would have to imagine both from a cost perspective and access to power, are there a fair amount that are trying to use renewables to try and make up that difference or is it just not? We've, uh, 
like the, we've done, you know, a handful of jobs that have this CHP or cogen look at. Um, some of them have started that way and ended up just doing power off the street because of the cost, uh, first cost, and mm. you know the kind of the phasing and the investment portion of it doesn't align with that. Um, others, you know, um, will go combination ones, but there's very few. We've done, I think, one that has renewable with solar, and mm. uh, that's the only one that I've seen do that is one of them. I'm really surprised because I, my, in my mind, I think big footprint. You could get a lot of square footage with good sunlight because you'd be, you know, there's no tree cover. Yeah. You know, you'd have an open large footprint, and you'd think they would try and capture all that. Uh, I must be missing something. It just must be that that just is a, yeah, the, a rounding error for the power that they actually need. You know, the technology if it's there yet on the the cost versus the payback on how much that gives you for power, and then you need some place to store it. You know, battery room or something, right? To, yeah. To store that power before you push it back out to the building and hmm. every inch inside the building is is premium because every they want to use as much as possible to grow in product because that's what makes the money so there's always there's that balancing act on that too yeah is there a lot of rooftop equipment associated with it too could that be part of the problem it, it no? depends on the, on the setup uh, the bigger ones are usually using chillers and cooling towers or dry coolers. And those are all ground or um, one of them, we put a cooling tower on a, a small one-story addition. Um, some of them, uh, the smaller ones, will still use DX type with some rooftop air handlers or you know the fresh air makeup or whatever on the roof. But yeah. for the most part, the, the bigger ones are on the ground without some kind of a plant. And when you were talking about CHP, you said first cost, you mean like upfront cost? Yes. Yeah. yeah purchase so. price of that, whatever yeah. that might be. So, them, yeah, the big cost. Um, mm. you know, it could be five to eight or ten million dollars, depending on the, the output. But you know, that's another the, the finance package and options on that too. That these companies that do that that kind of a thing will have options to do that, or they'll, you know, whoever's doing the finance on the, the owner side has options to do that too. Mm. And then on the heating cooling climate control side you know you touched on a little bit but presumably you're talking about some type of temperature control and maybe even humidity 24 7. yeah the, right? the typical i mean it's it's pretty similar to every other building with a bms um mm -hmm. the only things that are a little different you know, the dehumidification cycle with with you know growing things with is much more important is that the m word is the the thing that you don't want to say in this industry which is mold right so that's the thing with the dehum cycle and the grow cycle and all this because the, the plants are transpiring water um, there's a calculation that you know how much goes in versus how much goes out which how much goes out in the air which how much the plant uses all this stuff is calculated into the design by the HVAC, you know, and that sizes the units, sizes, you know, the air side and the dehumidification side. Um, and that's all, for the most part, you know, BMS controlled. Uh, some of the facilities will tie in all into one control of, you know, fertigation, lighting, BMS uh, for the HVAC all into one. And others will use 
multiple systems just because the integration of them is not very easy. Okay. It hasn't uh, got to that yet. And some of them are trying to do it, but it's not widely accepted and user-friendly for everything yet. Okay. Anything else outside of MEPs that you're typically looking at when you're looking at a space? Well, the other thing is the, you know, the floor condition, you know, the, I think in our industry always floor prep is always a, something that we uh, carry allowances for, right? Cause we don't know what's going on yeah. under the carpet or under the slab or whatever. But in the, in this industry, um, that's something we look at. We usually, you know, if we don't do moisture testing at the beginning or salt and content and all that, it's very important because of what the floor product going on, you know, you talked about kind of the lab condition for the most part, you know, you, all the areas where the plants are, are washable, cleanable, you know, got to be hosed down after the harvest happens and cleaned out. Um, so you use a lot of epoxy floors or some did for some cost cutting at the beginning is sheet vinyl and all that. So you want to make sure that that check out that floor condition, moisture content and do some testing and all that to make sure you can specify the right product, whether it's moisture mitigation or something that's breathable in the, in the product. Mm. Don't want to be caught on that after you've got it all built and the floor starts to bubble. That's awesome. I never would have thought of that. You know, just the whole, like every other one building envelope, just checking on that because it's just cost mm. for the most part, you know, we're building buildings inside the buildings with these, you know, with plants are their own self-contained rooms with uh, insulated metal panel box type of thing or drywall frp you know they don't we don't want to use any paper or wood product in the construction of anything that where the plants are because it's a potential food source for the mold so mm. that's you know use non-wood for blocking azic or metal or whatever um, yeah. don't use anything in the walls for it with paper drywall, you can use, you know, dense shield, dense glass, whatever, um, with an FRP on top of it or epoxy paint. Just depends on kind of the, what room you're looking at for where the plant is and what happens in it. Hmm. And how about head heights, ceiling heights? Is that? Um... Yeah, for, that's for sure. Looked at close. Depends on uh, again room function. In the grow rooms, they kind of work from what height they want to hang the light at in in relation to the, the plant height. So there's a, there's a number that they work with um, the growers, if they want to grow the plant to be three feet, four feet, five feet high at, at, at its full growth. Most of these, most of the growers are setting it on tables, stainless steel tables of some sort. So they take that calculation to the, to the height where the, the light will be shining down on it. And then whatever else you have to get up above it with HVAC, sprinkler, uh, ceiling construction, all that. So, you know, that that's important. Yeah. And then depending on, obviously, if you've got that vertically integrated, the places that have fume hoods or kitchen areas need one thing versus a grow facility that probably needs more height. And you got to, that's, that's something you got to be looking at where you're going to. Right. Yeah. Right. Place that layout. And, you know, a lot of these uh, will use, some mezzanine structures or some pipe support racks or something with a common corridor and feed into the rooms that way. And but yeah, the, the, the retail side and, you know, that's kind of a look. The manufacturing side is most of that is 
normal kind of eight foot six or plus or minus ceiling height that you need in the finished space. So yeah, the, the grow rooms are the ones that need the height. So this is just me scratching my own itch here. You hear about like um, that they only, is it true they can only take cash and you need like a, like basically a cash storage type room, like a vault or something like that. And, or is that, was that just initially and now it's legal enough that they can take credit cards and all that kind of stuff? I do believe I'm not a frequent buyer of the product, but hmm. um, uh, you, it's still because it's federally illegal. Um, yeah. It's only it's which is kind of a you know a topic we could probably discuss for an hour about the theory on that. How can the state allow this and the the feds still say it's illegal? But hmm. um, yeah, it's cash or debit card is you know is the the means at the retail. So. And most of them, a lot of them have the ATM right inside for you if you need that. But yeah, it's it's still that. And they have, uh, most of them probably have some kind of a service, you know, money service, a bank service that takes that money so that there's not the uh, challenge of security with potential theft. Mm. But, um, you know, security is a, is a thing that's a huge also portion of these all these facilities, the retail and the grow, every square inch of the, the property, no matter what classification is, has to be covered with a camera view. And okay. You have to have that 24-7. And then you have to have tape backup of 90 days. So if anything happens, they can see what, what went, went on in that time period. Wow. So that's interesting. So that has to be, especially when you have that much square footage, that has to be a huge number from a security standpoint, just with the backup capability and that amount of cameras and yeah, yeah. what's probably the biggest camera number you've seen? It's funny because the, there's a couple of different models on that. There's and and a lot of the the security work directly for the owner, so we don't always see every number because they have to stay on after we're gone. Um, okay. So, but you know, some of these can spend. 200,000, 300,000 on, on security or more. If they're paying it, there's one model that they do the installation for nominal cost and then basically lease you the equipment and charge you a monthly rate. So that I've only seen like one company that still does that. That's kind of the old um, you know, ADT security home thing where you pay 19 bucks and get it installed. Then you pay 30 bucks a month after that forever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But you are building, you know, vaults or money rooms or whatever on all these properties. All these, all of them have to have a vault for uh, product storage, and they'll probably put the the money in there as a as a day vault. And those can be, they first you started using those as like concrete block and reinforcing and all that with a you know, hollow metal door with reinforcing on that. Now we we also a lot of times we'll build them drywall with expanded metal in the walls and uh, and ceiling. So a little more cost effective and easier to install and, and use. Okay. Hmm. All right. Well, that's fantastic. We're, I, we've burnt off an hour. That was fast. What's the outlook for cannabis moving forward? Like, do you feel like either 
there's going to be, I don't know, is there a set number of, uh, I'm going to ask a couple questions. Is there a set number of licenses? So once we hit those licenses, game over essentially, other than, you know, up and changing technologies or renovating? Or is it just like market saturation that will be the driver of the boom, for lack of a better word, stopping? What? How do you see it kind of playing out? Yeah, it's well, I'll, I guess there's a couple of comments on that. There is the legislature and the, the CCC established uh, a finite number of licenses. Um, so those I think are all been assigned and, and purchased from the state, but okay. they can be resold um, also. Um, but you're only allowed to hold, like I said, I think, I believe it's one um, grow license with three dispensary licenses. So if 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 you're on if you have one of those that's all you're allowed to but if your sister who's not named on that board of governors on your your one can get also the same amount of licenses um, they've they've spread them around you know all over the state um and all over the demographics so what they try to do i think so that's there is a finite number there already assigned the question, the process, though, of getting the money in line so they can build these things. Entrepreneurs are raising money and either building a dispensary or building a grow facility or fully integrated on everything. But it takes from getting your license to getting your first sale at the, the person coming in that retail establishment is probably three years. So it's it's a process of approvals you know getting the architectural review from the ccc on your initial plan you have to get a building permit you get approved for all that a conditional license you have to have post agreements with the communities mm -hmm. where you you know depending on what it is there's some kind of uh, financial agreement with the town that you're in and then um, the build out inspections by isd building departments all that and then the CCC has to sign off on it, and then you're uh, you're approved to to proceed after that kind of. So, depending on what size, stature, whatever you're going to do, it can be you know quite a time period and quite a high investment. So it's interesting to see all that in the future. And I, I've kind of scratched my head on this. You know, there's, we think there's probably you know another five, seven years of of this before all the licenses are kind of built out the spaces. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's going to, you know, the question is, is there going to be, you know, like a liquor store or packy, is there going to be a dispensary, like in equal numbers on every corner, you know, of the each mm -hmm. town, or is it going to be one or two in each town? I don't, you know, I don't know what the total quantity is, but it's something like that, right? It's one or two in each town kind of a thing. Um, that many licenses, huh? And yeah. Wow. And if, if you um, speculate, you know, will, when will this become federally legal? And then what happens when that happens with the state regulation versus federal regulation? Um, you look at other countries, Canada, that it's legal and they do different stuff. But right now it's just state to state in, in the U.S. So it's uh, it'll be a little bit bit of a battle between federal and, and state level like other things. But it's, it'll be an interesting ride to see that play out. And I, I think that there'll be consolidation at some point where, you know, Anheuser-Busch, like you said, has... 50, 60 dispensaries, and then Sam Adams has got 10. Yep. Huh. You know what? I hadn't thought about that. And I wonder if, like, what 
when it becomes when if but I would say when it becomes federally legal does that really devalue the license that you have in Massachusetts right now it's like you've got a finite amount if if now that becomes tenfold right you know that's a much less valuable probably yeah. because you know right now it's all inter interstate nothing can be purchased or sent out of our state that's grown here and everything that's purchased has to be has to be grown here so yeah. look at look at you know the story about martha's vineyard has something over a dispensary over there they have to have a grow facility over there and they have to have all their own product because the ocean is federal waters they can't oh. cross over it so this that's it was an interesting story i heard and you know yeah, things like that I, that you, you never think about huh. yeah you definitely don't think about that yeah and if you have, you're an interesting breed. All right, so the typical question that I ask everybody when all said and done, now it's gonna be hard, you just talked so much about cannabis, but I'm just thinking generally, what do you think? You've got a pretty good amount of time in the industry and experience in the industry. Over the next, whether it's two, five, 10 years, what do you think we're gonna see more of in the industry and what do you think we'll see less of? You could pick one or the other, or you can do both, but generally, like, where do you see us going over the next? Yeah, I think, you know, at, at some point, the, we'll be done building grow facilities on a big scale. I think there'll be some consolidation. The question is how that how that happens, you know, because a lot of these people are in it, in it for the buck, right? But there's a lot of people also that, you know, we didn't kind of talk about recreational versus medical was one mm -hmm. another point of, there's people that are in there that are trying to just do medical and and that was the first licenses that came out in the state because that was an easier regulation and, and a smaller group because you have to have your your medical card to get in to the medical only facilities but the market isn't as big so that was kind of the, the way to start and roll out so you know there's people in there that definitely want, think that research and the future of this is it's an all-natural plant that we're going to grow and use to heal people and the other mm -hmm. people are in there just to make money, you know, that it's mm -hmm. a business. So it'll be interesting to see how the, I believe that at some point there'll be consolidation, but mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see how it happens because all the regulation that's involved right now. And for sure, you, a lot of these people, entrepreneurs are seeing the why they're seeing this um, as a big opportunity is the, what the wholesale number for flour is. You know, right now it's $4,000, $4,500 a pound if you want to go out and buy it from one of the wholesalers in California it's two thousand or twenty five hundred dollars because the market is you know more mature and, and larger so mm -hmm. until we get to that supply and demand curve that's equal the you know the first in people are making more money question is what the return on investment is versus you know the first cost and hopefully you know you get in your your cycle before it uh, that price plummets. Yeah, yeah, because that that tipping point changes. Yeah, and it doesn't make sense to to build a you know a twenty or thirty or forty million dollar facility when you your your return is going to take twenty years instead of ten years. Mm. It's funny, and now you've got me thinking. That's an interesting thought about the future, the the medical piece of it. You even look at now the amount of studies that are going on with psychedelics for treatment of PTSD and a whole host yeah. of other things that happening at John Hopkins. And, you know, this isn't 
back room bro science. This is this is real science that's going on and combinations of MDMA and psilocybin. And I almost wonder if medicinal plants or psychedelics, medicinal psychedelics is the next market like. Is that that's talking some of the growers, the the next thing will be mushrooms, which yeah. are even more natural um, than the marijuana. And the like you talk about PTSD that, you know, some of the, I haven't delved into it enough to speak in depth about it, but PTSD with mushrooms and, and war veterans and other people with PTSD that they've seen some benefits to that. So I'm all in favor of studying all this stuff, the cannabis, the CBD, you know, mushroom, whatever it might be, if it has a, a benefit to it, because, you know, kind of my uh, interpretation is what's the difference between an all natural thing that's maybe genetically enhanced and mm -hmm. some pill that's, you know, all chemical made in uh, an FDA plant that's been approved. And I've done biotech stuff. It's no different. All that, it's all chemical versus, you know, this stuff that's maybe all natural or somewhat chemically infused natural product. Yeah. You know, I mean, my preference is the latter, right? The, the natural. Right. And, um, yeah, if it's a plant that we can study and is not addictive and can help give somebody a better life, you know, uh, I'm all for that. And I think as we see more and more research come out, I can't imagine that that's not a place that we're headed. So yeah. that's interesting. Your market sector might get extended. And yeah. it just falls under, uh, you know, psychedelics. Start, start building some labs, right? And just yeah places like that but it's interesting awesome all right well this is fantastic pete i uh I'm, i i learned a lot so i'm sure everybody that's uh, going to be listening is is going to learn a lot and um i appreciate your time and we'll, we'll talk soon thanks so much joe great talking to you yep take care pete take care so mass cons what'd you think I was pleasantly surprised with that conversation. I thought I was going to, you know, kind of stick to the cannabis stuff, which I think is interesting and is really a niche worth exploring. But I also like that Peter and I just get to talk about what we thought about construction, maybe how we got into construction, those type of things. I think those are the nuggets that, that I enjoy talking about and I think makes the conversation just be a conversation and not an interview. And I think that's what we all enjoy. We all want to learn and uh, just hear a conversation between between two people about what they find interesting. So hopefully you enjoyed that show. And as I said in the intro, like, share, whatever you can do, I would really appreciate that. I would, I'm putting a lot of effort into it this fall and winter and continuing to move forward. I've kind of got the energy back. I'm pretty excited about a lot of the guests coming up and I would love to get this thing really going. So I can't do that without every one of you, and I appreciate uh, every time you listen. So I appreciate that, and I cannot resist with the outro music. Take care.